right. I think we're recording. Sounds how's good. It, how's it going? Everything is <laughs> everything is going well. Days wrapped up, and I'm looking forward yeah. to chatting with you. Yeah, Laura. thanks for meeting me after after your work day. So, welcome to episode number eighteen, guys. This is episode number eighteen of Bikini Things, and I have a guest that I'm very excited to have with me today. This is uh, Nick Deliberato. He is my chiropractor. He's based out of Orange County, California, and he uses the Gonstead method and. Um, Just for me personally, he's helped me a lot with injuries, um, improper movement patterns I have that I'm working through and that I'm trying to improve as I as I improve as a competitor. So we're going to be talking about all different types of things, uh, spine health, overall wellness, how that could be applied to someone who's into athletics or just living a healthier lifestyle or competing or whatever it is. Sounds great. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you for being here. First of all, I mean, I guess let's talk about a little bit about your background so people have an idea of, of who you are and kind of what your interests are. I'll absolutely include links to the website, your Instagram bio and all of that. But I mean, what, what first got you interested in number one, I guess, health and wellness and then eventually becoming a chiropractor? Yeah, no, absolutely. Let me give you kind of the, the cliff notes or summary, sure. so to speak. I grew up in the Midwest and always gravitated towards science and um sports medicine. Initially, I thought I wanted to go down a career path of cardiology. And that changed drastically as I, you know, after college, and I started to shadow some doctors, including the vice Mm -hmm. chief of cardiac surgery at at the Cleveland Clinic, and then um, was volunteering at hospitals while I was, I went to Miami of Ohio, and pretty quickly started to realize that some of the the, the way that the paradigm, the current healthcare paradigm, was at odds with my philosophy and wasn't really a testament to um, fidelity of health. You know, it was more okay. pill for every ill, and I didn't see how it aligned with people taking ownership for their account- like, accountability for their health mm-hmm. and wellness. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, I was it, was, it was tough because I, you know, when you go into something 10, 15 years thinking that's the path you're going to choose... Um, and then to kind of have that derailed. So after school, I started doing um, some project management work, mm-hmm. which I, I okay. know you're familiar yep. with. It was it was Woo-woo. yeah. <laughs> it, it you learn a lot, and you it's do. and it's long hours, but it was it was and I got to travel all over the country, so it was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of rewinding a little bit, growing up, all we did was you know, I grew up in a in a in a neighborhood where there was fifty plus kids. And so we would play roller hockey, you know, in the morning and then tackle football. And then we'd have home run derby. And then when when the parents came home, we'd have basketball tournaments. And so very early on, I started wanting to play sports and, 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 you know, excel and kind of increase my performance because most of the kids were two, three years older than me and were stronger. And that was the kind of the, the conduit for me to start working out. My dad was always into... Uh, physical activity, and we had, you know, a pretty uh, poor excuse for a for a home gym in our basement. Mm-hmm. So, but you know, if you wanted to do if you wanted to do chest press and lat pull down and seated rows, yeah. it was all there. And then we started, you know, drinking those like first generation protein shakes that yeah. you just <laughs> oh right? my gosh, no. yeah, no, <laughs> they, they've they've Maybe come not. they've come a long way. Uh-huh. I still remember my buddy. Um, as I like, you know, choke mine down, I, I remember him running, there was like a laundry, uh, 
like a wash tub in in the basement, and I remember him just running over to it because he couldn't keep down that the the, oh. the, the protein shake, you know, after oh, a, after gosh. a hard workout. And it wasn't because you know it was just it, it wasn't because it was spoiled. No, it was just it was horrible <laughs> it was tasting, bad. and he couldn't couldn't do it. Oh um, so that kind of if that helps you understand my introduction to yeah. to lifting, and then growing up in high school, I I played basketball, football, and baseball, uh-huh. and in lettered in all those sports, and. Um, during those, you know, every season you you would train, mm-hmm. and our coaches did the best, our trainers did the best they could. But I think I came out with a lot of imbalances, not having a pretty poor mm-hmm. understanding of biomechanics and how to lift properly, how to, you know, what's the proper technique and timing, yeah. and, and all those things. Yeah. But it was always something that was really important to me, a way to. Um, improve my performance on the field, but also uh, handle stress and just make myself healthier because mm-hmm. I always felt good working out. Uh, so fast forward, I after the project management, I got into investment banking in Chicago, did that for six or seven years. It was a great experience and I love the city. And then at, at one point I decided it, that I wanted to pursue, go back to my original thought, pursue healthcare mm-hmm. and a career in medicine. But I just didn't know what that looked like at the time. Mm-hmm. As I mentioned, I didn't really, I thought about the DO route. I had a brother who was who was going that route. Mm-hmm. He's now in orthopedics, really likes it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I wanted a private practice model. And okay. so I started to do a little bit of research. And again, I, I was into sports medicine. I liked the kinesiology. I liked the physiology. Mm-hmm. So chiropractic, and I had been adjusted a few times and it helped me with, with different injuries and ailments. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say that was the deciding factor for me. Mm-hmm. I think at the end of the day, when I did some research and, and started talking to other chiropractors and other doctors, chiropractor provides a, an excellent platform for you to be your own boss, for you to really study biomechanics and become an expert in clinical application around that. And there's also you have some autonomy to bake in other health education and, and functional medicine mm-hmm. and, and understanding blood labs and really trying to uh, find out what people's objectives are and their true health goals and then be an advocate and build out like a patient-centric treatment plan for them depending what they want. So mm-hmm. I'm not all the way there yet. I've been in practice for two years. Most of what yeah. I do is I, I do a lot of spine evaluation and mm-hmm. I use the Gonstead method as, as you had mentioned which is really grounded in biomechanics, and I think it, it, it's probably one of the better methods that stays true to chiropractic philosophy, and it just seems to get really great results. Mm-hmm. Awesome. No, I mean, my, my experience has been great. How long have you been here at your, your practice in Lake Forest? So I graduated in 2017, no, 2016 in December. Mm-hmm. So it's been a little less than two years. As soon as okay. I graduated, I had already, you know, started to try to build a brand. And, yeah. And my, my father-in-law is also a chiropractor. His methods are a little bit different, but he's been in Lake Forest for the last okay. 30 years. And so I, I basically, you know, started yeah. uh, working um, not in tandem with him. He runs his own business and I run mine, but we share mm-hmm. space. So yeah, it worked, awesome. out, worked out really well. There you go. That's very cool. So I want to I wanna go back to something you said a little bit earlier. And you said when you were first in school and learning about what the healthcare industry or model really looked like mm-hmm. hands-on, you're realizing it wasn't actually in line with your philosophy or, you know, your, your core values, I guess. And so what did, what did that look like? You mentioned the pill for every ill, but what were some of the revelations you had 
shadowing doctors or just, you know, being in school or doing residency, things like that, where you're realizing there's a, there's a misalignment here? Yeah, no, I think that's a great question. Looking at, from, from the doctor's perspective, I'm, I'm, I think if 90% of the doctors that I, that I spoke with would tell me that they wouldn't do it again if they had to do it all over just because of the unpredictability. A lot were dissatisfied and frustrated with kind of what they thought they were going to be doing versus what they do every day. And that's not every doctor by, mm-hmm. by any means. But sure. for whatever reasons, the ones that I, that I were speaking with were um, just, just didn't have the most you know, rosy thoughts of, uh, about it. Uh, and then watching their lifestyles, a lot of the doctors were, you know, up at five o'clock, working till, you know, eight thirty, ten o'clock, and then they would do it all over. So that wasn't necessarily the lifestyle that I had envisioned going, going into that, you know, and that's, that's for cardiologists and cardiac, cardiac surgeons. So there's obviously different yeah. avenues. There's the, different but there's not much, there's not much room for a life in there if you're working from... If you're up and about from five thirty in the morning to ten at night, no, you know, it, that's what I saw. Just enough that. time to sleep. Really. Yeah, it's it's you you have to be one hundred percent dedicated to it. So mm-hmm. it, so I had my my doubts about that because I again, I'm I'm more about I'm a big believer in balance, and that starts with you working on yourself if you're going to be able to serve a bigger purpose and help others. If you're burnt out and just running through the motions, yeah. I mean, it's going to show up in your in your in your professional life and your family life and I wanted, you know, I wanted to have a balance. So, yeah. that was one thing that that really stood out. And the second part was just the time spent with patients was very very uh, abrupt. You know, you come in, it was quick diagnosis. Um not a full consultation, get it in the system, either pills or surgery, mm-hmm. and, and that was that. There was, the, for example, uh, Stuart McGill is a, he's a spine specialist. He has like a, a world-renowned lab. Mm-hmm. He's been doing it for 35 plus years. Everybody, a lot of people know about who Stuart McGill is. He's one of those guys that it just has, he's very recognizable, he's done a lot of research. His initial appointment with you, if you have some sort of musculoskeletal issue, especially back pain, is three and a half hours. Oh my gosh. And he, and he does not waver with that. Like that's what it is. And per, per, per his, you know, this is what he has said in the past is that 95% of his patients that are been told like, no, you're a surg- surgical candidate, that's it. Go on not to have surgery. Mm-hmm. And, and he's able to work with them and, you know, help heal the spine or, or, or help them move better and, and that sort of thing. Whereas. What I saw in the hospital was a lot of politics, um, a lot of hierarchy that just comes from how the how that system uh, was born and, and, and operates, mm-hmm. and it and it wasn't, you know, we're pouring, we're spending spine back pain alone is a hundred billion dollar industry, yeah, and we're only doing more and more surgeries. I think they're up to as of two thousand eleven, we did four hundred sixty five thousand fusion surgeries, mm-hmm. of which the success rate is thirty five percent. And of that 35%, the ones, if you really start to narrow it down and zoom in on the data, the ones that did, that did better are the, are the 30-year-olds the, the, who are like in relatively good shape, not the 50-plus-year-olds who have other comorbidities and diabetes and all these other health issues. So it's, it's a slippery slope, and you see that in, in all the specialties. There, there's uh, the, the lifeblood for 
hospitals, these large hospital networks, is surgery. It's cardiovascular surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, and these ORs need to be filled. So with, that's a pretty strong vested interest mm-hmm. as opposed to trying to put somebody on a, on a four-month you know, diet. And, and the consensus that I heard from people that was echoed was that we're not going to change people. People aren't going to change their lifestyles. They're not going to change their dietary habits. Um, it's, that's just too hard. And for me, that was, that was just kind of a non-negotiable. Like how, like I, how, how are you going to, to call yourself a healthcare educator and then treat people with pills and, and just do disease management? And I don't want to come off sounding just all, like, I mean, conventional medicine is amazing. And it's had some really cool technological mm-hmm. breakthroughs. Like when I used to shadow the the heart surgeons to see that people put on the, hung, the, the lung heart machine mm-hmm. where literally it's plugged in and it's circulating the blood for them while they do the operation. It's, I mean, it's, it's wild. Wow. It's re- really impressive. And they continue to make great, great strides, but we can't treat chronic disease with acute based care models and, 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 and that we're currently doing. So that was the biggest revelation that I saw. I was just was, you think that you're going to study science and figure a way to get everybody better. And then you like see it in the, in the real in world. You're like, that's not what I. Yeah, the, that's ex- not what the I thought. expectation and the reality are not matching up. <laughs> no, not at all. That's not what I thought. We, yeah, do. yeah, and I think too. There's, you know, in some ways, you can sort of understand how the model got to where it was as a as a country. I think we're continually making ourselves sicker and sicker. No doubt. Um, you watch the obesity rates, the childhood obesity rates. Um, they're they're climbing every single year. So you know, my background is my dad is a food scientist. Um, my mom is in marketing, but she's spent a lot of her career studying childhood obesity and how food's marketed to kids and what obesity rates are at. And it's every year we're making ourselves sicker and rather than treating the cause of the problem or treating the cause of our health issues, we're just wanting a quick fix to the symptoms yeah. that we're seeing. And, yeah, and so I completely believe that a lot of these back surgeries are not, not that successful I just renewed my uh, PT or my uh, personal trainer certification, and one thing they say is 90% of U.S. adults experience low back pain or report experiencing yeah. low back pain. It's a high rate. It's crazy. At least a couple it's times absurd. A That's absurd. And I mean, you look at it when you actually dig into it, um, and I and I do want to talk to you about that. Um, it seems like a lot of it could be fixed pretty simply if yeah, you just I, I think so. take the initiative it, to address it. Absolutely, and that's what it, you have to at least make an effort to be your own advocate, to understand where the pain's coming from. And what is causing it? Is it because, you know, we used to walk a lot more than we do now with the commute and cars and mm-hmm. things like that. I mean, that, one of the healthiest things you can do for your back is to walk 20 minutes at breakfast, 20 minutes at lunch, and 20 minutes at, di- at dinner. And maybe that's not the most realistic thing for everybody, but we can at least shoot to try and, mm-hmm. you know, maybe, or maybe you maybe can do get, one of those. Just try, just try to yeah, get to, just one of those, right. And sometimes back pain is discogenic. That might just be... be you know, in the body over time, it, it may go away, it may not. So it, it's, when you start to look at back pain, there's, you have to have differentials, you know, different diagnoses, and some are mechanical, and some are non-mechanical. They may be visceral, they may, you know, you know maybe coming from somewhere else, they may be more of a physiological, they may be psychosomatic. So to treat, I mean, pain is a, is a pretty interesting um, phenomenon in general. So it, it's, there's, we're just scratching the surface as to how to treat it, but mm-hmm. the chiropractic adjustments and things like that and doing a thorough evaluation, I think is a great starting point for conservative treatment. Mm-hmm. And 
you can then start to talk about lifestyle changes and, and, and diet is huge, especially for, you know, competitors and for people that are, are um, very active. You need to, you need to take in, take in the right fuel so that your body can heal itself. Mm-hmm. The gut, like we always talk about the second brain and the gut and all that. It's, it's very important. It's something like the, if you were to look at the surface area of the intestines, it's the, the surface area is the size of a, of a tennis court. And we're taking in food, you know, that's that's interacting with that. And it's, it's, a, it's a bit people didn't think about that 20, 30 years ago. It's still yeah. in its infancy, you know. Yeah, that's a that's an interesting topic. That's that's one that I'm very curious about too, because it seems like we don't know that much about the human gut, and they're constantly finding out more. But it really seems like those those bacteria or that flora that's living inside of you has a big effect on your not only your physical well-being but your psychological well-being is it what their scientists seem to be finding out more and more so if you're eating crappy food can lead to more anxiety stress um, inability to just cope with normal normal life stresses and then what happens is you feel crummy you feel stressed you go eat more yeah. you know ice cream pizza chocolate whatever's gonna make you feel better and then it's just this like vicious cycle that you find yourself in true and, and you know what else <laughs> it's it may not even be the crappy food it's we have food everybody has their just own sensitivities like, yeah. allergies that you may not know about yeah that's that's one thing i want to do sometime soon just as a competitor your diet can get so limited i want to do a food allergy test to see you know hey i'm eating you know one about second. three different types of protein about three different types of carbs and i allergic or slightly allergic yeah. to any of these because i don't know right now no but. it's it's a that's a great i mean it you build it's cumulative data you build on it and you have to experiment you have to be a citizen scientist and figure out what works for you not outsource that to, to somebody i mean sometimes you can you be we're all looking for information and facts mm-hmm. and um shifting you know as new information yeah comes comes to bear but yeah there's sensitivities there's there's allergies and if you have a leaky gut you're having chronic inflammation a lot of the joints a lot of the big joints are highly vascular so that inflammation is 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 you know traveling through the blood vessels and it's and it's making its rounds these cytokines and and, and inflammatory mediators where the blood travels and where the joints are so mm-hmm. you know go figure you're going to have some some pain that in the joints or joint swelling it, it might be uh inexplicably tied to to what you're to eating what you're in the eating. gut too yeah oh, that's a good point i didn't even think about that yeah, that's, a, a, that's a big one. Yeah, absolutely. Huh, very interesting. So what are, I guess, what are some of the most common things that people come to with? I would imagine probably low back pain, but um, what, what do you see the most? Uh, it's a lot. I mean, pain is a great motivator for, for my business, but it's all sorts of different sports injuries from rotator cuff injuries to neck sprains to back sprains to knee to ankle. You know, we, we, we treat a lot of extremity issues. Uh, it's usually something musculoskeletal, joint aches and pains, headaches. Mm-hmm. There are some some outliers where people come, um, you know, like uh, things like hiatal hernias and things like that. Or usually, what happens is, we, I think, is is really critical to take a very thorough history for every patient because you need to paint a picture and add color to why they're what are they doing, mm-hmm. what's their occupation, what are they eating. The, the more you know about mm-hmm. the patient, I think, well, the report. You develop that rapport, but then you're also able to really understand what interventions you need to suggest in addition to the in addition to the adjustments. Um, so, how are you finding out that information? Usually, on the initial visit, I, I try to spend almost like an hour, an hour, fifteen minutes, and I'm updating my intake forms, uh, you know, from time to time, just to 
to see what really helps uh, drive positive outcomes. Uh, but for the most part, it's vertigo, it's headaches, it's you know the whole spine up and down, uh, post-operative you know rehabilitation. Mm-hmm. I just want you to check my spine. I just had, I just broke my ankle, and because we are, um, you know, if you injure one area, there's there's compensatory changes up and down the chain. So it's always a good idea to to have that checked. And everybody has different ideas what, about what chiropractic is for them. So mm-hmm. I I try and help them understand that it's, you know, we're, we're treating the, the, the nervous system and, and, and the structure. The spine, its, main, its primary job is to, to, to protect the spinal cord and then the, the nerves that exit from the spinal cord. But it's also the primary foundation for all of our movement, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we're a, bunch of, we're a bunch of bones stacked on top of each other yeah. and guy wires being the muscles that either create stability or motion. And that axis, the spinal axis, and, and those curves are, are a critical part of that. Mm-hmm. So, do you see a difference in people who are active and I don't know, I guess more more from an athletic background in terms of how you can treat them? Because I would imagine somebody who maybe has a little bit of conditioning or just is already in a, has a little bit of muscle mass. Mm-hmm may respond, and this could be a completely wrong assumption, may respond better to adjustments and treatments because once you're working on them, they may have the strength or they may have the muscle to kind of hold their spine. In a yeah, no, I, I, don't, I, think that's a, I think that's a pretty plausible, you know, theory because... Yeah, you're the expert. I'm just, I'm just waiting. Well, no, no. <laughs> I, I, I'm a personal trainer. At least I have that. I have a nutrition certification, but beyond that... No, but you... But you, that's about it. You work Pilates on... You, that's it. <laughs> You work on your on your um, on your physical health, and, and that's the, building body awareness. I think that's what it really comes down to. Everybody, uh, depending on what their lifestyle, whether they work out in a gym five days a week, whether they go to CrossFit, whether they're a bodybuilder, it presents a little bit differently. But I do, they they typically tend to have um, better body awareness, better activation patterns in their muscles, so things do heal quickly. Better uh, circulation, less body fat. For the most part, mm-hmm. uh, things that that would that, that do cause issues, you know, better control of their blood sugar, um, but it changes as as we age. You know, somebody who really beat their who's an amazing power lifter or uh, a martial artist or something in their in their twenties or thirties or a boxer or a racquetball player in their fifties, they may have done a lot of damage to their body and never really really corrected it. You'll see. Um, it's one of those situations, and in, in this day and age, I don't know what you see or how you feel about it, but there's this idea that like you got to do everything well. So you have to be able to power lift, and you have to be able to bodybuild, and you have to be able to go to yoga, and you have to be able to stretch, and you have to do all these things that when you do power, when you're a power lifter or an Olympic lifter or a crossfitter, your body, you're making physical and neurologic adaptations you're, you're growing thicker collagen in your along your spine you're, mm-hmm. you're it's totally different than somebody who's who is playing golf or mm-hmm. it, that one has like an elastic frame and the other has has this axial compression force that they've strengthened to support the weight so everybody's a little bit different yeah so it's hard to say necessarily that you know they have an advantage over some you know somebody who, who's really just uh, you know, walks every morning for an hour, but's never seen a weight and never played a sport. Mm-hmm. 
they they may have a, a, a their spine might move you know totally more different. totally different and be just as nimble as somebody who's done Pilates for yeah. 20 years yeah because you there's other factors too going did they have injuries growing up what are they eating how often do they sit um, what sort of activities of daily living are they doing outside of their occupation what is their mm-hmm. occupation yeah. so it's hard to it to have like a blanket statement or an, any absolutes Absolutely, it's difficult yeah. but to your point I think People who are athletic tend to adjust easier. They heal faster. Um, or your point about body awareness is maybe maybe they have just a little bit more of a mental connection. If you tell them, okay, I want you to focus on holding your shoulders back, or you know, make sure you're doing this when you're exercising or when you're sitting at your desk, they may be able to understand and implement what you're talking. Yeah, about. Maybe, there's maybe a little bit. Some more compliance. It's yeah. not like what did you just say? Like send, like show me that, show me that <laughs> exercise again, twenty five yeah. times. What's the deltoid? Yeah, exa- exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Very cool. So, so beyond the adjustments and stuff, how do you how do you kind of decide what a person needs and how do you help them with a treatment plan to address whatever issue they're working on and sort of like what are what are you think besides adjustments or in addition to that like what are some good compliments that you like to do or maybe in the future you'd like to offer sure you break patients down based on a couple different factors but one is is it an acute pain have they had this before is it new is it fresh are they is it's a chronic sort of issue and if it is chronic you have to have a, a really good understanding of, of, of the history. You know, mm-hmm. do they, are they on hypertension medicine? Are they on um, a statin? Because it's you know a multi-billion dollar industry that more people than not are on statins. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, are they taking antidepressants? Are they you know there's you have to understand their the, the pharmacology in addition to um, their their if there was a mechanism of injury. So once you can can have it once you have a really good understanding of you know, what's going on in this person's life, then you start to try and pinpoint the causal zones. Is this, is, you know, people come in, I think one of the uh, highest um, reports, you know, into the ER is sciatic pain. Mm-hmm. So when people come in with, with sciatic pain, that's a lot different than somebody who comes in and says, I've never been in a car accident, I, I don't work out, and I, my hands are numb. You know what I mean? So you really have to start by doing, understand like what type of patient are they? And then you have to look at the history and then start finding out, doing some neurological evaluation to see if they need to be referred out for other tests or to other, you know, co-manage with another specialist. Um, and then go through a very uh, basic Gonstead evaluation where you're checking, you're motioning the spine, you're using a, uh, we use a, a scope that kind of looks at, te- it's like thermography, it looks at temperature differentials. Um, put the patient through a certain range of motion to see how joints are moving or not moving, stress test areas. You know, some patients come in and they have instability in the back because they can't figure out how to brace things, you know, mm-hmm. brace their body. People talk yeah. about core stability. Yeah. But it's really more about, about anchoring your entire body. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're a, um, uh, our bodies are, are articulated linkages, right? Like remember when we're, when you're young and you're sure. playing Red Rover, Red Rover, and you grab the hands. If all you did was grab other people's hands, mm-hmm. but everything else was loosey goosey, when that person ran through, you would get destroyed. Yeah. But what you do is you you. Well, sometimes you, you do that so you it, fake them out. <laughs> you make you embarrass them. That's true. That's a good that's a good move. I'm glad I didn't play yeah. with you. Um, but you know if you if you root down and 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 stabilize 
you know your spine mm-hmm. and your core they're going to bounce off like a, like a rubber band and same for you know when you when you have when you're using an excavator if you just if the if the scoop goes down and you don't have the 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 motor part braced you know it's just going to tip over cuz you've created a yeah. created a lever arm so yeah. it's all it's all interrelated and interconnected and you have to start figuring out um, you have to put your hands on people and see how they're moving or not moving and, and understand the, where there's signs of tenderness. Is it swollen? So you do a visual inspection, mm-hmm. motion, you know, hands-on inspection, the scope, uh, and, and then you start, sometimes you need some imaging. Imaging yeah. can be helpful, you know, like to x-rays, x-rays okay. and MRI, but MRI okay. not so much. You never okay. really want to jump to MRI unless, okay. unless the neurological evaluation, you know, somebody has like sensory um, like they have sensory loss, okay. muscle weakness. That's a sign that there could be, you know, more more, uh, serious. more serious problems in in those nerves. So I think I'm answering your question. Um, but that's that's really you get a history. You you start going through whatever protocol you use, and then from there, um, you start looking at kind of the other pillars to health. How are you sleeping? Are you stressed? Again, you have to understand the mm-hmm. medication. Is there anything that could be leading to additional causing causing this pain? Or do you get an annual physical or with a CBC? You know, a CBC, and are there any other tests? Are you checking the vitamin D? Do you know your A1C? Have you looked at hemoglobin A1C? Just signs of if you have uh, energy imbalances, whether you know whether that's sugar or fatty liver or any of that, it's most likely it's going to over time it will become symptomatic at, at, mm-hmm. at some point and that could manifest itself as joint pain anxiety depression headaches mm-hmm. so when you have somebody in your you know in your treatment room for an hour this is an excellent opportunity to really tease out all of these different problems or just challenges and see what suggestions you can make mm-hmm. i think in, two, in you know next year i'm i'm going to be doing some i'm hopefully be applying some functional medicine where we talked a little we touched on the microbiome but there's certain cases where if that is if you're having problems there it can it has wide reaching effects such as like low thyroid and that's just to na- just to name one so you could take like a, a stool sample that talks about the different microflora your microbiome and the flora in your in your gut and then you can go about creating a plan to fix that maybe it's some herbal um supplements that are uh you know antimicrobial and then you mix that with prebiotics probiotics mm-hmm. and you track over a course of three months see objectively how the patient does uh because th- there's just a lot of people suffering from you know it's actually very uh it happens frequently i should say when patients come in and they have some sort of pain but then they have uh crohn's disease or they have you know ra or they have Diverticulitis, you, you name it. So, something that something that just you, it shouldn't be, it shouldn't have come to roost that early, mm-hmm. and it's you, most of these diseases I think are reversible. Yeah. But they take some discipline, and some I have a few friends information that are like my age, like twenties and thirties, that have those issues, and I think I agree with you to some extent. I think if they cleaned up their diets, they might see a lot of relief of their symptoms. You have to start somewhere. And that's, that's a, a really, it's not an easy place to start, but it's a fundamental mm-hmm. place to, to start trying to clean things up. Um, I mean, it's, a, it's, an, it's an interface that, you know, think about that. It don't, it's almost so compelling that over 
even though that science is in its infancy, it's, it's like Captain Obvious. What we're eating could be having more effects than we ever, you know, thought to, thought than we were, than we ever actually, you know, that the science backs up. Yeah. It's starting to now. Yeah. But it's, I've seen it with um, family members and friends, and it's almost like you start talking, uh, like the AIP, the autoimmune protocol diet, and people almost start eating even worse. It's like, it's, it's like instead of I'm going... I'm not familiar with that. There's a couple different um, protocols, but they've, they've done... A, there's a, like nutritionists that use it all over and get amazing results. I'm talking about like round numbers speaking, like 20% of people go in, they've had IBS or mm -hmm. Crohn's for 20 years, and they have, they're able to totally reverse like 76%. Oh, wow. Through, just, through, just through the okay. diet protocol and doing some additional, uh -huh. you know, functional medicine yeah. supplementation. But yeah. You said the autoimmune protocol, sometimes people eat worse. Yeah. Well, it's, it sounds like some people, you know. I'm not you, familiar with that. I guess the. It's, it's the, it's, AIP. sure. No, it's the idea that like there, I don't know, there's a psychological component to, to pain and to eating. And, you know, you become your disease once you're given a diagnosis that's subconscious, you know, running in the background. So you have yeah. to you have to be able to cater to that too. But it's almost like, no, you don't want to eat this. You need to go on this diet. And it's like, oh my God, that's so restrictive. I'm going to go binge on, you know, McDonald's and okay. all this other stuff. And yeah. then once you give them yeah. more tools, more community, <laughs> more support, all of a sudden they, they put themselves, you know, on that recommendation that, you know, Dr. So-and-so gave them two years prior and they're getting amazing results. And they're like, yeah. why didn't I do this sooner? Yeah. Well, competitors, competitors are so predisposed to almost like binge eating and stuff. And sometimes it's just, there's a strong psychological component to eating or just in general, you're told, oh no, you need to, you need to do this and this is all you can have. Or, right. you know, here's the box that I want to put you in. Most people's natural reaction is no, I don't want limits. I don't want restrictions. Let me do what I want. And so it can absolutely manifest itself in eating. Yeah, definitely. It's, that's a, you know, and then there's the. The, um, that attraction to, you know, looking that certain way for your show that is just not, not really something that's sustainable. Um, one question I did have. So you mentioned functional medicine is something you want to implement more. What, it, what does that actually look like? To me, functional medicine is, is kind of a term I hear thrown out every once in a while, but I don't actually know specifically what that means. Sure. No, I, I think it's, <clears throat> some people, you know, have a very specific definition for, for what it is. It, 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 some people call it integrative medicine. Um, but at the heart of it, the unifying premise is that you, you get to the root cause, causal zone, root cause resolution. It's not treating the, the symptoms. Okay. You know, it's not, you have a low vitamin D, let's just put you, I mean, you might need, still need to, to supplement vitamin D, but let's get the bigger picture. Why, what, what's driving this, this vitamin D deficit? Is it that you're not getting, you're not outside enough or are there other physiological um, <clears throat> things at play that are depleting that, 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 that vitamin D that you might need to fix? You know, are you, are you, uh, is there a deficiency in B6, B9, B12? You have all these B vitamins, but understanding about the gut, really look, really understanding how, um, you know, people talk about adrenal gland fatigue or, yeah. you know, I'm just so stressed and, and all that. And if you talk to people who are experts in that area, most of them will tell you 2% of people actually have, you know, adrenal gland 
fatigue or adrenal fatigue syndrome or something along those lines. And there's certain companies like Precision Analytics that do tests. Um, there's something called the Dutch dried urine test for comprehensive hormone panels. And you're literally um, putting urine on like four times throughout the day so that you can understand all of these different hormones, but also your cortisol at different times, so you can chart oh, it, okay. so you can see your car, your cortisol awakening. And it also gives you the metabolites, because what most people don't understand is that you have, like whether you're talking about thyroid hormone, T3, T4, or you're talking about cortisol, you might think that your cortisol is high, but you may have just metabolized it, or you may, you may have an issue, like a root cause issue, where you're not metabolizing cortisol. And that's oh, where you really need to try. What, amount, right. So what's causing that? What is it? Is it that you're too sedentary and you're and there's there's issues with insulin and now you have too much inflammation? So oh, it really starts with nutrition, and yeah. then you have to pull in different tests. Sometimes the tests can become cost prohibitive. So maybe you just have these different protocols to treat certain issues. Maybe you have hypothyroidism and you're, you have uh, rheumatoid arthritis symptoms. So you immediately just start, do maybe one or two tests, uh, you know, blood work, metabolic chemistry panel, things like that. You try to keep it to a minimum because you also want the value. You don't want to be spending a ton of money, mm -hmm. but you, you need to at least get enough input so that you can make a educated guess as to how to create your treatment protocol. Mm -hmm. So it, it's really good at treating diabetes, obesity, if you can get the compliance from the patient. You sure. know what I mean? So yeah, th there's, that's always the trick. <laughs> there's, there's that end, but, you, but I think yeah. it requires spending more time with them. And most functional medicine practices, they bring on a, you know, a chiropractor, a PT, a health coach. They do group events where mm -hmm. you talk about you know, different research or how to prep meals or you watch movies together or you, do, you, know, you go to a gym and do it a certain exercise so it, it's trying to get that buy-in from people and cutting out some of the middlemen that just where we're, our costs are just exploding mm -hmm. you know what i mean you can't spend 5.7 trillion dollars in a year on healthcare expenditures of which 80 percent are lifestyle the 80 percent of those of the causes of those are lifestyle based i mean that's just that's, it's backwards it's, it's backwards 100 exactly. no I, I completely agree with everything you're saying and this could be 100 percent my perception but i really think that um as a chiropractor there's a little bit of an opportunity because i think people um see that field or i mean the way i kind of think of our relationship is like you're someone i go to that i'm kind of working on i i have my own postural issues i want to improve but i kind of see you as somebody that's that's kind of like on my team in terms of my health and my well-being. That's not an MD doctor who's going to be writing me a prescription for something. It's not the same as going to the ER if I am, you know, bleed if I've cut, you know, I'm bleeding or right. I'm in a car accident or right. something like that. It's somebody who's just really like looking out for your general well-being. And so there's maybe more opportunities to have discussions about lifestyle, about your diet, about what your work conditions are like that may be causing you to have back pain and and all these other things. I think there's maybe a little bit more of an opportunity for for patients to come in and think about it as this is like a, a fully balanced experience and expert that I'm working with to try to address issues that I may have.